It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. It's October 20th, 2006. You know, this week we're, it's, we're due for a financial chaos topic. And what we're going to talk about today is the tax smart way to better the world. And what I mean by that is I'm going to give you some creative ways, some new things that have popped up, either companies lowering and changing the way they do business or even through legislation, ways that you can give money more effectively than what's been going on in the past. And this is going to serve several purposes. I know quite a few of my older listeners who are on the leading edge of this technology boom of podcasting that listen and subscribe have asked, why do you focus everything on us younger guy, on all the younger people out there? Us retired individuals would love to have some information as well. So this is, if you've sent me those emails complaining about that, this is your day and this is your podcast. Now we're also going to talk about in this podcast, I've got to start off, I normally don't do this, we typically jump right into the financial chaos topic, but today I'm going to go over an email from Lauren, I want to talk about some of the things that she wrote me, it's a real short email, it shouldn't take too long to clear up, and then there at the end, I'm going to talk about Wesley Snipes and his tax trouble, if you haven't heard about this, you need to stick around because it will show you, no matter how much money you make, how many people you surround yourself you can still make stupid decisions, and if you make enough money, you can find somebody that will tell you it's a smart idea. So hang around for that, and then I'm going to close out the show by telling you once again who I am, what my background is, because I got some emails saying, why don't you ever talk about your firm? Well, the reason I don't talk about my firm is I'm a bad marketer. I love doing what I do for a living, but I do not trumpet myself or market this firm probably like I should, so... I'm going to take your advice and actually close out the show by telling you a little bit about Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. But jumping right into this email, I want to read this to you. It says, Brian, I have a question regarding 529 savings plans. I am planning on attending graduate school in the fall of 2008 to obtain an MBA, and I'm trying to decide what my best savings options are for the next two years in order to help pay tuition and other living expenses. MBA programs are quite expensive. And I would like to try and minimize the amount of loans I have to take out. Are 529 saving plans the best investment vehicles over the next two years to save for school? Or would I be better off investing in other mutual funds and or stocks or bonds? I have been contemplating purchasing a condo I am currently renting to live in for the next two years and then potentially sell it either when I enter school or when I graduate to help pay for the tuition. However, this option would leave me very little to contribute to any other savings plan. Any thoughts would be very appreciative. Thanks, Lauren. Now, Lauren, I want to talk to you about something with this. Now, first of all, 529 plans you know, are ideal for starting out when your children are very young. Um, I started a 529 plan for my daughter as soon as she was born, and I, I contribute $100 a month to it. And I'm hoping by the time she um, enters college, it's going to be a substantial sum of money. Now, in re just refreshing what the college saving options are, 529s can be used primarily for or only for college expenses, uh, whereas the Coverdell Savings Accounts, formerly known as Educational IRAs, can be used both K-12 through as well as for college. So there's a few more options, but the big benefit with 529s, you can dump a ton of money in there, all at once, and grandparents can actually front-end load them and do five years of gifting all at one time. 
Now, 529s, I do think, Lauren, would probably make sense for you if you want to put that money, if you've saved up a lump sum of money to use for your MBA work, you can put it into a 529, but do not put it in any type of investment vehicle. You want to go with the guaranteed option. So that's that's my advice on the 529 because remember, as I've said before, when you're investing, really if you need the money within five years, don't get too aggressive with the money. You want to, you know, especially a lump sum like this, you do want to put into probably the guaranteed option since you know you'll be using that money for college within that two-year period. Now, there's another issue you brought up about this condo that I want to talk to you about. Uh-oh. Lauren, do you, do you hear that? You're talking about buying a condo, living in it for two years, and then trying to sell. That alarm, that siren that you just heard in the background was telling you, wait a minute. And this is why I put this at the front of this podcast, is that I got your email, and I truthfully think if you're not careful, you could have a $30,000 mistake here. Most people don't realize, and this doesn't just have to deal with condos. This is also any real estate. If you are going to buy a house or condo and you're only planning on being there really less than five years, don't do it. I think you're better off probably to rent because you think about it, they get you going and coming. When you buy a piece of property, you have to pay closing costs. Closing costs can cost 1% to 2%, um, even up to 3% depending upon where you live, you know, of the total purchase price. So you you got all these closing costs that you're going to pay. Really, there's no benefit there to having these closing costs. It's just part of doing business of buying a house or a condo. And then when you go sell this property, you're going to have to pay a real estate commission as well as more closing costs. So I just don't think that if you're buying a house or a condo and you're planning, know you're going to move within two years, stay away from ownership. You want to rent because let me tell you, the last thing you want to do is go to graduate school, live in this condo for two years. Maybe you take a job outside of the area you live and you're stuck with a condo that you can't get rid of. What do you think you're going to have to do? You're going to have to sell it way below market, lose everything that you put into it as well as probably some just to push the thing through the market. So, Lauren, I hope that helps out. I know this is a little out of the ordinary. We normally don't jump right into an email. We save those for the market and media updates, but I just did not want Lauren making a $30,000 mistake. So I hope that helps out, Lauren. Now, jumping on to the financial chaos topic, the tax smart way to better the world. Um, before I jump in, let me always give you the contact information. I'm kind of slow. I don't market this show like I should either. Um, you can contact me the um, traditional email way, which is brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com, or you can um, go on our website. That's money-guy.com. We've now added a subscription service where you can um, type in your email address, and then every time we do new show notes, it emails it automatically to you and lets you know that there's brand new information out there. We also, um, you know, you can call the the 1-800 number and, and leave us a voicemail, and that phone number is available out there on our web. But just to remind you guys of what that number is, it's one 800 762-8502 and in that number you can give me feedback comments and tell me what you think about the show and um, leave some feedback but jumping right in let's talk about something that I have found very useful on giving assets away if you're if you're a charitable type person 
and you give away large sums of money down here in the south, and it's probably the same throughout the entire country, um, a lot of us tithe. And what that means is that you're giving 10% to the church and um, to other charitable organizations because you feel like you're blessed and have good things coming in your life, so you try to, to share some of that wealth and that benefit that's come to you. And there are creative ways to do that that help the charitable organization that you're trying to benefit as well as helping your pocketbook and lower your taxes. And one of the things I want to talk to you, if you own a bunch of appreciated assets, now it's pretty easy, you've probably noticed, if you own Coca-Cola or Home Depot that were bought by, you know, for Coca-Cola, if you had a great-grandmother that bought it and gave it to you before she passed away, and you have this stock that has no basis in it, meaning that every if you sold it, you'd have to pay a gazillion dollars in taxes, it's easy to give away stock. Most charitable organizations will tell you, hey, we have a brokerage account. You can give us a stock. Um, just get, We'll give you your account number, and you can just transfer over the shares to our brokerage company. And what I've found from dealing with clients and working with charitable planning, it's not hard at all to get rid of stock. But what happens if you've got what most people are is you've got an investor that is a mutual fund investor. Try to give somebody appreciated shares of mutual funds, and it gets much, much harder because a lot of the charitable organizations, I'm just giving you my experience from, from dealing with this in the past, a lot of the big charities will be having accounts with, say, like a Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, some of the companies that won't deal with index funds and no-load mutual funds because they don't sell those funds. So it's hard. They won't take those transfers. So, And you don't get the tax benefit unless you give in kind, meaning you actually give them the security. If you sell the security and then give them the cash from that, the government doesn't give you that great tax benefit of, of giving you the full tax deduction for whatever the mark, fair market value of that stock mutual fund or investment is that you, the day that it's actually in the hands of the charity. So that's the benefit. You get the full tax deduction and you avoid paying all the capital gains on that charitable contribution. So you can see this is huge. But if you have a mutual fund that's greatly appreciated, maybe it was a, a large cap fund that's done very well for you, an index fund or an international fund, and you're trying to get rid of it, I have found just through my own experience, it is very hard to get rid of that investment and, and give it to a charitable organization because most are not set up to accept those type of mutual funds. There is a solution. I was so excited when I found this um, that I signed up quite a few clients with the Fidelity Charitable Gift Fund. And the big exciting announcement that they came out with on October 6, which is only a few weeks ago, is that they have cut their minimum investments that you have to make, or I say minimum gift that you want to give to the charities, in half. They have dropped their minimum from $10,000 of appreciated securities down to $5,000. And then if you're looking at how much you have to give, you can how small of a donation after you give and start this charitable gift fund that you have to give out to the charities, it's dropped down from a minimum of $250 per charity to $100 per charity. So you can... Do you see the benefits of this? This is huge. Is if you've got $5,000 of appreciated stock, I mean of mutual fund or stock for that matter, you could um, you could do your church tithe by just putting this money in and then throughout the year giving the money whenever you felt like it. Or I've even had situations where I've had clients who were once lived up in Vermont and up north and they um, got involved with local churches and local community organizations up in that part of the country, but now they've moved down south but they've still kept contacts and they want to give 
um, a little bit, maybe, you know, a few hundred dollars to that old charity, you know, or that old church that they used to go to. It's kind of hard to do that if you just want to give them three or four hundred dollars. Um, if you were trying to give them actual mutual funds or stocks, because the transaction would actually probably cost more than the benefit. But by using these fidelity charitable gift funds, that's not the case. You're kind of consolidating all of your gifting needs into one. And the cost on this thing is dirt cheap. I've been very impressed. I've used this thing for the last three or four years for my actual clients on the institutional side. And when I saw this this come through um, the wires a few weeks ago, I was very excited about it. And um, I think this is a brilliant thing. The other thing it does is that you think about lowering from 10000 to 5000 is if you are the type of person that ties a portion of your income um, ten thousand dollars means you probably need to make you have to make over a hundred thousand um, dollars to use this type of service, and that, and that might be out of the reach of most people. But if you have a five thousand dollar annual, you know, or a five thousand dollar minimum, just open the account. That's very reasonable. You get somebody who makes fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars, they can use this service. Um, and they can give away these appreciated securities, takes the tax, take the tax benefit, and not pay the capital gains. It is a tremendous planning opportunity. And on the website, money-guy.com, I have put a link to the Fidelity Charitable Gift Fund, and you can take advantage of this. Like I said, just recapping what this is, it allows you, it's a great way to give away appreciated mutual funds, as well as stocks and everything else. I'm just telling you what I have found is mutual funds are tremendous. Um, it also gives you the benefit, and I didn't even mention this earlier, a lot of times people will come to December, realize that they owe Uncle Sam a fortune in taxes because maybe they had a, a good bonus come through or they sold an asset and they have all these taxes that are now due, and they ask their accountant, what in the world can I do to lower my taxes? Well, really, a quick thing you can do is open one of these Fidelity Charitable Gift Funds and the day that it arrives at Fidelity, the tax deduction is available right then. So you can start thinking about this in early to mid-December, still get everything set up, and then you can wait until the following year to actually give the money to the charities because you actually get the deduction the day you gave it to Fidelity. So that's a tremendous thing that, that you can all of a sudden give a huge sum of money to lower your taxes and then not worry about actually having to make the gifts to the charities, you know, you've already given the asset over, meaning the appreciated asset, but you don't actually have to worry about Fidelity writing those checks to the organizations until you tell them to, and that can be in the following year. That is tremendous a tremendous planning tool that you can use at the end of the year. So you really need to think about that, and like I said, it gives you the ability to consolidate your 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 giving ability to where you can um, you know bring everything together and and make it much easier to manage. And that's that's some of the huge benefits I have found working with this Fidelity Charitable Gift Fund. So um, check that out and go check out that link on our website. Uh, the next thing I want to talk to you about was there is a brand new, back earlier this year, I believe it was around August, late August, there was the Pension Protection Act of 2006. Now, this is a great thing, and I'm going to use this actually on my in-laws. This is, um, you know, I wouldn't bring something up unless I actually was planning on using it or I think it has merit. I have um, my in-laws, you know, are very involved with their church. They give um, very, you know, they're very involved with um, giving and making sure they're involved with charitable organizations. And my father-in-law is actually over 70 and a half. And as anybody knows who has retirement accounts, once you're over 70 and a half, 
the government starts making you take what's called required minimum distributions from all of your retirement assets. And if you don't, if you have a pension um, or other income sources, Social Security, um, annuities, and so forth that are providing all of your living expenses and you don't need this money from these retirement accounts that the government's requiring you to take so they can you know, tax you on that money you've deferred for all these years, what are you going to do? Well, this legislation that came through is going to fix all that. They have now made it where people who are over 70 and a half um, who meet certain requirements, I'll give you those requirements in a minute, can now give directly from their IRAs to these charitable organizations and those gifts to the charitable organizations count against and lower that required minimum distribution. Now you say, well, why would anybody really do this? Why, why, what's the, you know, really what's the benefit on, um, who would do this? And, and what it happens is, I'll tell you, and I've, I've said this, this ties right into what I've talked about in other financial chaos topics, is as you get closer to retirement, I don't care what analytical argument you're making, I tell my clients to pay off their houses. Because there is something, there's a psychological benefit to being completely debt free when you're in retirement. Because you're already in a fragile situation where you are responsible for your financial security. So why in the world would you want to have, um, any debts out there to, to, to kind of, you know, make you feel like you're even in a more weakened state? So that's why I do recommend to all my clients that are retired, pay off the mortgages. So if you've paid off your mortgage, you've lost a huge deduction that probably is going to keep you from now using the itemized deductions when you file your taxes. So you, when you lose those, because that's usually the biggest deduction on most people's tax returns is that mortgage interest. So you take out the mortgage interest. Now most people are not itemizing. Well, if they want to give to a charity um, and they don't itemize, you know, they're doing that just how the graciousness and the goodness of their heart, which is fine. And that's usually where most people are. But this gives us an alternative where their heart can be in the right direction, plus the government can give them a tax benefit as well. So if you got somebody who has their heart in the right place, they're over 70 and a half, they have a, a, an IRA that they're required to take a minimum distribution out of, but they want to give that money, some, a portion of the money to, to the charities, they can now do it and not pay taxes on it, on that portion of the minimum distribution that they give to the charity. That is a tremendous, tremendous opportunity because it's going to allow people to fulfill their their giving needs and their obligations that they, they want to make to these charities while lowering their taxes. And another benefit of who else might want to consider this is most people don't realize as you start making more money as you retired, your Social Security becomes taxable. So if you're one of these people that has, you know, Social Security and income coming in, and you're, you don't want any more of it to be taxable. You could do these required minimum di- distributions to the charities, and it would um, hopefully keep a portion maybe of that Social Security from being taxable. So these are just other ideas on things that you could do um, as an opportunity for, for people who are over 70 and a half to give money to charities and avoid some taxes. Now, these are the requirements. I want to give you the, the letters of the law of this thing. To do this, you've got to be over 70 and a half years of age. Tax benefits apply to gifts. You can do this up to $100,000 per year for tax years 2006 and 2007. You do need to know this provision will expire on December 31st of 2007. 
and the amount must be in the form of an outright gift, meaning that you cannot attach strings or have control after the gift is given. So um, those are the basic provisions on how this thing works. I do want to jump back. One quick thing I forgot to tell you about the Fidelity Charitable Gift Fund as well as some of these. Uh, when you are using charitable gifts on the itemizing of your returns, one thing that is a huge benefit to why a lot of people do this at year-end is if you get to year-end tax planning and realize that you're subject to alternative minimum tax because it's that stealth tax that's kind of hidden in the backlights until you know you make about $150,000 a year and then all of a sudden it comes up and gobbles you up and starts really taking everything away from you. Because what, what alternative minimum tax is, is it's a, a ta essentially a flat tax where they figure out percentage of your income is, um, is, is the tax on that, and then they take out all of your deductions. Well, the only one of the few deductions that they don't take away from you is charitable deductions. So that's why this is such a powerful thing. So talking about what you can do with charitable planning, with that year-end planning and the Fidelity Charitable Gift Fund, is that you can use that to also help you with your alternative minimum tax. So I just wanted to throw that out there before I forgot. Now, something fun that this stuff cracks me up when I read is um, – and this is moving a little bit away from the financial chaos topic, but it is dealing with taxes is, you know, the actor Wesley Snipes. Now, I want to I want to bring back the year that I saw the actual tax return because this is available out there on the smoking gun, and I've got links out there on our website. 1997, Wesley Snipes um, amended his tax return. And Wesley had a tremendous year in 1997. I'm actually looking at a copy of the amended return. In 1997, check this out, Wesley Snipes made $19,238,192. So I was like, man, that was a good year for Wesley. Which movies did he do? Me and Heidi, my producer here for the show, were like, which movies did Wesley do to generate $19 million? So this is just going back down memory lane. Think about this. In 1996, Wesley Snipes did The Fan, if you all remember that movie. I, you know, I don't remember if I thought it was good, but I do remember the movie. 1997, he did Murder at 1600. That was a good movie. I actually remember really enjoying that. Um, 1997, One Night Stand. have no idea what that movie was. But then in 1998, so I'm figuring some of this, he got advances in 97 for some of these movies he did in 98 because he had a huge year in 98. He did Future Sport, which I wasn't as familiar with, but then he did that movie Blade, which was a tremendous hit. They ended up making, you know, three um, extra installments or two, maybe I think they were up to a total of three of those movies. They also did U.S. Marshals. Um, U.S. Marshals was a huge hit with Tommy Lee Jones. Isn't that, the, isn't that his name? Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones. James Earl Jones that I think I'm getting confused with. But Tommy Lee Jones um, was in that. And then he also did Down in the Delta. So he had a really good year from 96 to 98. And that's what generated a lot of that $19 million. Well, Wesley got himself in a situation. Um, and I'm going to read this right from the smoking gun. It says, Wesley Snipes has been indicted on federal criminal charges for his role in a bizarre tax avoidance scheme that allegedly included him seeking $12 million in fraudulent refunds and failing to file six years of tax returns. In an eight-count indictment unsealed today, Snipes and two others are charged with knowingly attempting to defraud the government by claiming that his substantial income was somehow immune to taxation. 
According to the indictment, Snipes, 44, conspired with Eddie Ray Khan and former certified, notice the word former, <laughs> former certified public accountant Douglas Razil in this tax scam. Khan is the founder of a Florida company known as Guiding Light of God Ministries that investigators allege promoted and sold fraudulent tax schemes to clients like Snipes. Khan has claimed that U.S. citizens could only be taxed on income earned from certain foreign-based activities and not on money made in this country. This claim, known as the 861 argument for the section of the tax code to which it refers, has been flatly rejected by the Internal Revenue Service. So he's trying this crazy... 861 argument to get out and this is what this is what the whole thing that cracks me up and you go out to smoking gun and you actually pull up this 1997 tax return is what was wesley thinking seriously i mean you make 19 million dollars i mean you could probably get away with this crazy scam because you know i've heard accountants say that the old adage anything's deductible until you get caught but if you're making 19 million close to 20 million dollars a year you're probably, for giggles, i got to believe there's people at the IRS that says, hey, it would be fun to know what Wesley Snipes made last year. Don't you think there's probably people at the IRS that are looking that up? I don't know. I don't know anybody at the IRS. I just think that there's probably people at the IRS that think it would be really cool to see what certain celebrities, Brad Pitt, um, you know, all these different people are making in income. It would just be a kind of a hoot to go in there and check it out. Well, so you're probably already under the spotlight because you have fans that might work at the IRS. They just want to go look it up. And then you file this tax return where you ask for all your money back. That is insane. And I feel like I can shed a little light on this because at the f former firm that I worked at, we did work with celebrities as well as athletes. And I think what happened, I'm sure that Wesley had some advisors at some point in his career that were giving him good advice. But a lot of these actors, as well as athletes and others, don't come from a background of, of great sophistication. And they've always heard the adage that wealthy people do not pay taxes. Let me go ahead and tell you, that is a flat-out fallacy. Wealthy people pay a ton of taxes. Um, there's just so many ways you can hide money in it, legally. And I think that probably Wesley comes from a background where he said, wait a minute, I'm making $19 million dollars. The government's taken seven of this from me. What have they done for me to to, to really warrant taking seven million dollars of my money? And then they also go back to that old adage: "Well, rich people shouldn't pay taxes." I've always heard that, so they're like, I must not have a good accountant. If he can't get me out of the seven million dollars of taxes, something is wrong. So they go out, and you can find these people. There's kooks everywhere in all professions. They go out and find somebody who is willing to tie into this strategy, this crazy strategy where you're not subject to taxes on anything that's generated within the United States. And you follow, you surround yourself with these yes-men that tell you this is the right idea. And you think it's reasonable because, hey, I don't have to pay the $7 million. seems like a risk that's reasonable. And then you get hammered with it. This is my rule of thumb about most things and about taxes. I don't screw around with my taxes because there's very few things where they can show up and just take my stuff. That's a huge thing. I mean, you don't pay your power bill. The worst thing to do is they're going to cut off your power. You don't pay your credit card bill. I mean, you go mess up your credit score and they're going to start harassing you and making phone calls, but they don't show up and just start taking your stuff. Only the government and the IRS, go ask Willie Nelson, go ask many of these other celebrities out there, can show up and just start taking your stuff. 
So you don't want to mess with that organization. That's the one that can take you out. That's Al Capone. You know, back when he was around back in the old days. So, I mean, these are the things you just do not mess around with the Internal Revenue Service. So I think that's really what happened to Wesley. He got himself in some trouble, surrounded himself with some people that were not giving him good advice, and now he's going to pay the price for it, and it's just unfortunate. Um, I did want to close out the show today and talk to you about my firm because, like I said, I did get some um, emails from you guys who were saying, why don't you ever talk about your firm and what your minimums and what you do? And I told you, I really have no good excuse. I do this as a hobby. I really love doing the podcast. I love getting the feedback from you guys. I love knowing that we're making a positive difference, you know, by filling that void from the people who can afford my services and the people who are still trying to acquire the assets, as well as people who just want to hear about financial planning advice on, on you know, on their iPod and their MP3 player. So I've been very pleased with things, how, how they're going. And I'm just not very good at asking for business. I've never been good at it. I've always been a much better financial planner and accountant and planner than I am a business person probably in the aspect of asking and growing the business and marketing. But um, I will tell you, my firm is Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Um, I actually started, I went out on my own back in 2002 under a firm called Preston Financial, and then I joined up with one of the associates that I worked at. I worked at a previously very large firm. It's still a very large firm up in Atlanta. Um, it's an over $1 billion firm where it did only fee-only planning. We did, like I said, a lot of athletes, a lot of celebrities, a lot of CEOs of major companies. We even worked on um, acquiring some sports teams and other things while, for a portion of the time I was there. It was a lot of fun. Um, but I was just looking for something a little different. So I came out here, started my own firm in 2002. In 2004, joined up with a very sharp associate that I worked with at that previous firm. The, his name was Bill Cleveland. I've said it time and time again. I'm the loud one. Bill's the smart one. Um, I, I think we both do a very good job with our clients. He's up in our Augusta branch. I run the Southside Atlanta office um and, and we've been very successful we are not a huge firm we have about 34 million of assets under management as you can tell that's not a huge shop but we're very picky about who we take we make a nice living and we feel like we don't have to take on everybody because we want to make sure we take on people who appreciate and understand what we're trying to do with wealth management now wealth management's a little different than what you probably are used to with your shopping store um you know investment guys as well as the big guys, you know, the Smith Barneys, the Merrill Lynches. We, um, I, I really consider I have a great relationship with all my clients. I mean, when our daughter was born, when my, you know, when my daughter Avery was born, I actually got a ton of gifts from clients because they feel like they are part of my life just like I feel like I'm a part of their life. Um, I've had, you know, when clients have children, um, you know, I immediately jump in and try to offer them help on, you know, getting the 529 set up. I'm involved with everything. I've helped them buy cars, as I've told you in previous podcasts. I help them buy property. I've helped them, you know, research deals, investment deals. There's nothing that they cannot call me about and ask me with their financial life. Now, because it is that type of relationship where there's not an hourly charge every time you call me, we're, we work under a relationship um, where we manage their assets and we do um, get a small portion of those assets that we manage. But we do have minimums. And that's the unfortunate thing that has driven me to do this podcast is that really there's no way we can effectively do what we want unless you've got enough money 
to where I feel like our fees don't cause a hindrance to your assets. And um, right now that minimum is $500,000 um, to, to work with the clients. And, um, you know, if we continue to grow like we think we will, that minimum will change. Because I will tell you, when I first started, my minimum was, um, I think it was $75,000. And um, truthfully, if you would have called me up, I would have come over and hung wallpaper, painted your walls because I was that hungry for, for clients. you got to know when you start a company, you have to do whatever it takes to get things going. But as we have added clients and things have gotten more comfortable, the only way I can guarantee that the service stays the same level and that we're not overstretched um, on our resources is to continue to raise that minimum. So we, we've got a great group of clients. Love what I do for a living. And um, if you are interested, you know, because we are um, – this coming year becoming we're SEC registered investment advisors. I am a fee only advisor. I'm um, a registered NAPFA advisor. If you haven't heard of NAPFA, that's the organization that's the um, premier fee only organization. It's the only organization I really feel good about writing that annual check for. Because most organizations, like I used to be a member of FPA, as well as some of the, the which is the financial planning organization, as well as some others. But truthfully, I didn't enjoy those because they. Um, I didn't feel like I was getting anything out of it, and I didn't feel like what was the requirement to, to really join that organization other than writing a check. With NAPFA, you actually have to submit a full financial plan for a client as well as prove to them that you've got experience and resources in this. And then what I couldn't believe is after I submitted that full financial plan to NAPFA when I was trying to get in for membership, they actually called me up and asked me a bunch of questions about it. So. I was like, man, these guys really do care about what their consumers are doing. And if you're not in my market or you're looking for somebody, I really would encourage you to go check out NAPFA's website. That's N-A-P-F-A um, dot O-R-G. And you can go check out NAPFA. They are the fee-only planning organization. And I think they're tremendous. I remember the first time I went to a NAPFA conference and these planners that really do feel like this is a calling that you can make a difference in people's lives, they were practically giving away they do, the way they do business. And that's insane if you think about how people are giving away how to make other people better advisors, but they believe that strongly, and I think it's a tremendous thing. And um, I just want to kind of share that with you. But like I said, if you do, if you are interested in services, I don't market myself like I should. I don't do any advertising um, out there whatsoever. I, you know, I don't do yellow pages. I don't do um, any of these other crazy marketing schemes. I don't do cold calling. I just wait for people to show up. And so far, um, it's happened. You know, because you do good things for good people, and uh, it seems like things just seem to happen. And I get all my referrals primarily from my existing clients. But if you are interested, feel free to shoot me an email, Brian at money-guy.com. I'd love to send you out a, a information package as well as a questionnaire that I would need filled out. And we can talk about whether or not maybe Preston and Cleveland is right for you. So with that, I'll leave it. Like I said, I'm not very comfortable at marketing myself, but I do feel like we're one of the premier planning firms out there in the country. So um, give me a call if you have any questions. But with that, I hope you appreciate everything we've done on this financial chaos topic. Call me if you have any questions. But until next time, may God bless you with good health, wealth, family, and friends. This is Brian.